think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The Dugout. Football Social Daily. Relegation clashes don't come much bigger than the one on offer at Turf Moor this weekend. Burnley hosts Watford as both sides strive for Premier League survival. It's Hodgson's first game in charge of the Hornets. Will they sting a Burnley side who have some fresh firepower? That huge six-pointer is the only top-flight game happening this weekend, but a large portion of Premier League sides are in FA Cup action. Perhaps the pick of the ties coming at Stamford Bridge, where third-tier Plymouth Argyle will be eyeing an upset. We'll try and put our finger on what it's like coming up against the side when there is a distinct golf in class. Plus, the transfer window is now closed, but who's done the best business and who has missed an opportunity? We'll try and get all of the answers on today's edition of The Dugout from Sports Social, the show featuring former Premier League players. I'm Niall, and alongside me today, we've got two men who share a common attribute of being fast down the flanks. Former Everton and Burnley man Trevor Stephen and ex-Wolves West Ham and Norwich player Matt Jarvis are here. How are you doing, guys? Yes, very well, thank you. Oh, good, thanks very much. Good to be here now. Now, we know there's a goalkeeper's union because we hear about it all the time. Is there a winger's union? You guys have got that in common? I would 100% say yes. I'm going to jump in straight away, so he has yeah. to say yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've always got... Um, you always, I always want a winger to do, to do well, but I always want the winger to be going... And attacking the space, attacking the defender. It's when when they get the ball, you know, their confidence is down, and and lose that opportunity for one on ones. So, but anyway, I would give them three, four chances uh, to to have a go at a fullback. You know, get their confidence up. I wouldn't write them off straight away. So I'd give them. I'm a bit lenient with my wide players. You know, there's not not so many wide players anymore. That's the thing. Wingers are that's true. Are a dying breed. We were talking about this on the podcast earlier this week about how we were talking about Cancelo actually and how he signed a new deal at Man City. And we were discussing how being a fullback now isn't like what it was even 10 years ago. You know, you think of players like Ashley Cole and Gary Neville who were considered really solid top fullbacks of their time. But now they're almost like midfield players. So I guess that just shows how the game's changing. But no, no one will forget the classic winger. There'll always be a place for that in the game for me. Do you know, just, just one point on that. Fullbacks, in my day, the only thing that they knew, apart from defending, was overlap, right? 
get around outside your, your wide man, your winger. Right? That's what they were doing. Or, or sit back and support, but generally overlap, overlap, overlap. And now they, they're in, inside the pitch so much more than they ever were and looking for positions and holes in there. So you know, it's just a small aspect of how the game has, has changed over the course of time. I think crossing from deeper as well. I think it's a case of like when you see Trent Alexander-Arnold now and even De Bruyne when he picks the ball up from midfield, they're crossing the ball from almost like halfway inside of a half rather than getting up to the box or the byline like what you used to do, Trevor. You used to get to the edge of the box or the byline and whip a ball in. That was, I guess, how you were taught. Whereas nowadays, it's you can even drop back a little bit deeper and just wing. wing as long as you've got, as long as you've got the quality, that's what, how Trent can do it, and, and players like that, and yeah. Cancelos of this world. As long as you've got quality that you're going to hit where you where you're able to hit. Otherwise, it's it's perfect for defenders because they they're not turned, they're not on the half turn. They are facing the ball, so they should be in a good position to attack the ball. But if you've got quality who can clear you or get in front of you with a great runner in front of, of a defender, that's when it's effective. But it was it was very much back in the day when you had a tall central uh, striker that you could throw in from the halfway line and get the second ball, you know. But the game, again, has, has changed beyond that. All I wanted from my fullback was to just give me the ball. <laughs> stay where you are. Just give me the ball. You stay there. Yeah, if I'm yeah. struggling, I'll turn out and play you. But other than that, just give me the ball and let me try and take him on. <laughs> make sure you're there. When I turn back, make sure yeah, you're exactly. there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've seen clips of you, Java. You just go and pick the ball up from fullback and run all the way to the goal. That's what you do. You don't even bother. Don't yeah. find those wing positions. Just go and get the ball yourself and do it all yourself. I was going to say, that. that's when you haven't had the ball for a little bit. Then you go hunting for it. That's where you want to go. Hunting for it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your and your manager's going, get wide, get wide, right? Oh no. Well, talking of big central strikers, there will be one on show this weekend in a massive game at the bottom of the Premier League table. Burnley got some fresh firepower. Watford have got a new face in the dugout, albeit an old one in Roy Hodgson. Massive clash, 19th versus 20th. It is Burnley against Watford at Turf Moor. This is probably the worst question you could kick off a podcast with, Jarvo, but you've got the honour. What's the message or approach going to be from these two managers? Is it a case of it's 19th against 20th, do not lose or you must win because even though they sound like the same thing, they're very different. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, would either of these sides take a point in this situation? Look, it, for me, it's a it's a must not lose game. Definitely must not lose game. There is still games in hand and there's you know still you know a long way to go to the end of the season. But losing this game is, is huge. You know, you, you look at the you know, especially Watford, you look at them, they've they've had a terrible run. I think they've lost five of the last six games. You know, they need to pick up points just for morale, like um new manager, that should hopefully give them a boost. But you you need to pick up something on these games. So for for me, both teams is a must not lose, but for Burnley, especially being at home, it's a great opportunity for them to just pick up the three points and, and, and move themselves forward. Does it depend what sort of manager you've got, Javo, going into those kind of games? Because, you know, I guess one thought process is it's a defensive side of things. Not negative, I don't think that's fair, but the defensive element of don't lose this or the offensive manager might go, you've got to go and win this, lads. Yeah, I think, you know, you pinpoint games in the season that you think, right, need to get three points in that game, need to get three points. So, for, for instance, this game, Burnley will be looking at it thinking, Watford, play them at home, play them away. 
there's you need to get six points there's the points that you need to be picking up because also you know it stops them picking up points which is your relegation battle so some managers yeah i've had some that especially like um sam allardyce was very picky in the in the uh the fixtures and be like right that's a game we need to we need to get some points from you know so for instance this game would be a, a you know it would be a looking to get a win rather than you know must not lose it would be would, would he job or would he so. tell you that as well would he be quite clear about it he used to break the season down into eight games and you'd have your like you look at your fixtures and go right these eight games we need to pick up 10 points so you look at your fixtures and you think right if we get three points in there, three points, you know, and you go through. So this would be a game that you'd be like, right, three points. So you you, you don't you wouldn't have to say to him, us, you know, in the change before the game, look, this is a must-win game, we have to win. But you'd already know because you'd you'd worked out beforehand where you need to pick your points up. Say you've you've lost your previous game thinking, right, this is more important, we need to get these three points now. And looking at their fixtures as well. They've not really got a nice run of games, either of them. So it, it's one that picking three points up in this one just it gives gives them a massive boost going into the the you know the remaining fixtures. Would he do that at the start of a season then, Jarvo? Would he sit the boys down and say, "Listen, here's where we're at. These are the fixtures we need to win." Yeah. So he would have like start season. It would he, you know he was very much in the uh, analysis of like statistics. So for our first season when I was at West Ham, we wanted to finish 10th, which, you know, for a side that's just been promoted, that was our, our aim. So he worked out how many points you needed on average over the last six, seven years. That's how many wins, that's how many losses, how many draws, that's how many goals you need to score, how many goals you concede. And he just broke it up into simplifying it. So for eight games, you know, you could look at your fixtures, you could have Man U, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, you could have whatever. And you go, right, we realistically, seven points would be a really good total in then eight then eight games but then you'd have another spell where you'd have like more points that you think you could possibly pick up and you go 12 games but some 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 run of games you would pick up more than you thought and some as you less but it evens out over the season so that by the end of it you you would sort of be where you hoped you would be and it would just simplify it for players because if you're on a bad run of games like Watford you know, you're going through you've lost you've lost six out of the last seven or something like that you're thinking that's a that's mentally that's difficult but if if you're starting a fresh one you know fresh uh, eight games and you've got, you've picked up a draw in your first one you're like right here we go these next seven games we can then pick up points but if you're going just going oh that's another game we've lost that's seven on the bounce now that's eight on the bounce you just it's demoralising and mentally fatiguing. So it was just to try and freshen things up. Interesting point there that you make about Big Sam. He's obviously an experienced manager. And so too, Trevor, is Roy Hodgson. And this will be his first game as Watford manager. So is there anything that can be read into that? We often talk about this fabled new manager bounce, but you know Watford are going to have to get some sort of reaction because their poor performances cost Claudio Ranieri his job. Yeah, um, I, I never thought Ranieri was... You know, it's it's a fingers crossed appointment, isn't it? You know, if it goes well, um, you know, the owners could claim some kind of miraculous vision. But uh, it was never really going to work. It didn't work. Like Roy Hodgson comes in. Listen, I've got to tell you, I, Roy Hodgson must have been desperate to get back in, into uh, into management, even if it's for this short burst. Because I've seen him. I've seen him on the train locally three or four times on his own, he's looking absolutely lost. Right? <laughs> so I'm glad he's got a job, right? He can get off my local train and then you know, get himself to training at Watford. <laughs> as, far as, as far as Roy goes, though, he's... Um, uh, 
I've never been managed by him, but I've met him quite a lot of times. And he gets the job done, you know, at football clubs. And he's done that time and time again, taking them all the way to the England team. And he's definitely got something. The players can buy into that. He seems on the outside to be quite mellow. Um, I wouldn't know what he's like inside the dressing room. But he's what's he, 74-year-old, something yeah. like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's... You know, to come into this part of the season, maybe that's just long enough for him to sustain that enthusiasm. Um, he's very, very technically aware. He's um, very studious on his players. And I think he will have looked at them and said, right, what kind of team do I have to put out on the field to make us difficult to beat and to be able to be creative enough to, to get points in games? I think this game, going to Burnley, a team with, if you sat at the bottom of the league, your confidence is you know, it's shattered anyway and Burnley are in that position. Great opportunity for them to go and, and get revitalised in their season. Of course, I've got a Burnley hat on. I'm an ex-Burnley player. So I'm, I'm looking at them and saying, big performance required. Um, you know, losing Chris Wood was, uh, was a blow, albeit he's not been in great form this season. Um, Goals have been hard to come by. Corney has come in and done well, but you can't depend on a white player to be the man who's going to score you all the goals. Uh, so they've got themselves a replacement, haven't they? They've got they've got Vergersen from from Wolfsburg, and he looks like he's a younger version of of a Chris Wood. I've not seen him play. I'll be I'll be honest with you, but he comes with a, quite a reputation of of combat, and I think that's what I think that's what Burnley need, um, and you certainly will get that. As a message coming out of the the or from the manager's seat, and Sean Dyche, we've seen, you know we know he he's got one way and wanted forward and you know and, and and dealing with people and dealing with things, he's got no negativity about them, and they've been there before. Sean's been there before. As bad as this, I don't know. I don't know. I think this could be the this could be the year for me that would be the the greatest miracle of all to get him to get Burnley. Uh, as a Premier League club next season. Yeah, it's a good point. They do have games in hand, and if they can beat Watford, they'll go above them, which would be a huge, huge blow to inflict on Watford. But you're right about Verkhorst. Comes from Wolfsburg. He's a massive guy. He's, you know, if you think Chris Wood was a big sort of unit of a guy up front, this guy is a different level entirely. (laughs) He's even taller. He's even stronger. And... He's not just a hold-up guy in terms of being able to bring uh, midfield players into play. He can also spin off defenders, a bit like what Lukaku did in in the early stages of his career. Kind of hold defenders at arm's length, spin them off and fire shots off, which is um, obviously a a benefit to have um, if you are Burnley. But you're right to mention the other names as well, Trevor, because for me, Veghorst, Corne and Dwight McNeil, that's a pretty decent forward three to have when you're bottom of the table. So... There's no doubt that people will be eyeing those three and, and thinking that they can pull Burnley out of trouble. I think Vegas first and foremost, uh, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd definitely have a fiver on him getting booked in the first five minutes. Because <laughs> I, 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 just, I just feel he's that going to be that kind of player for Burnley who's going to push, put himself around. Uh, so that we know, I think we know what we're going to get from that. We're going to get physicality. And as you say, he's got a talent uh, and a bit of cleverness about him as well, which is great. McNeil... For me, has just not performed at the level that I think he's capable of, and I think Sean Dyche knows he's capable of on a regular basis. Sometimes he looks like he could step into one of the big teams on some some uh, uh, performances, but then he can also disappear, and you don't see him for a game or two. Kone Kone comes in and he does affect football matches. 
um, having more readily than uh, than McNeil does. But if they if they get supply of the ball, then you've got potential to get the ball in the box, get some physicality through Vegas, uh, Vegas, and 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 McNeil needs to score more. Corney's doing his job, but it's also at the other end. It's at the other end. Burnley have not been as solid um, as they have been in, in recent seasons. But uh, yeah, I think they will have goals in them. Um, and it's good timing. Vegas makes his debut in this uh, this game. And so he'll be up for it. Absolutely up for it. The fans will be up for it because this is a game that they will believe, the fans will believe that they can win and should win. If it doesn't go their way, I think it'll be a big, big reaction from uh, from the home support. Yeah, I'd probably have a fiver on Vegas scoring on his debut. I think that's a decent yeah. little shout. Um, and as we say, if Burnley win this game, not only do they put the pressure back on Watford, but also it gives confidence and momentum, Jarvo. And I wanted to ask you what Vekos might be thinking as a guy who's joined a new club from a different league and what that would do for him if he did score on his debut. Because I think I'm right in thinking when you went on loan to Norwich, you scored on your debut, I think, against Bournemouth. And I remember you speaking after the game saying, you know, it's just a bit of a weight lifted to be able to, to get that first goal and, and announce yourself that you've arrived at the club, basically. Yeah, I think it's huge. Like for me personally, that it was just, it was like going going there, playing for a new team, showing the fans what you can do. I think scoring as well, it just gives you that confidence and belief, but also it gives everyone else a lift and you think, wow, this has been a great start. And for him, you know, he's he, he's obviously known the situation at Burnley, what what he's letting himself in for, really. You know, it's he, as you described him and what he's capable of doing, I think he's the perfect fit. You know, that is ideally exactly what Burnley need. They need someone like Chris Wood that can hold the ball up, bring into play, but who's who's not been on fire really this season. And someone, someone's got a really good goal-scoring record in the Bundesliga. So it's it, it should be a winning combo, combo. And McNeil, I think, going back to what you were saying, Trevor, about McNeil, I think he will thrive off having someone like him in the box that will be able to, instead of maybe, yes, he needs to score more goals. Yes, that's what's changed within the wide players, sort of not staying wide, just put cross and you need to be on in the back post or someone scoring goals. Whereas he can now be allowed to maybe just drift that little bit further wide get the ball onto that left foot and just start whipping balls into him in the box because you know you've got that central figure that's going to be a handful in the box and and, and potentially score you their match-winning goals. Was there ever a case when West Ham had Andy Carroll, was there ever a, a case where maybe you were in training where there was a big centre-forward where you just thought, I can just fizz balls into this guy and we've got a chance? See, Andy was there when I was there. I had met a couple of seasons with him. It was amazing i have to say amazing like as, as much as everyone thinks you know you just you know just don't have to look he don't he was very particular in how he wanted the ball coming in as well you know he didn't want it like put it shift it and whip it in he was always on at you to like just hang it up just hang it up put it into the box mm. but just hang it up because he knew he could out jump anyone and whether yeah. it even if it was the goalkeeper and on days that you sometimes were just you couldn't maybe get that passing game going and because again he was good with his feet but if you couldn't get it going all you needed to do was me get it wide go down the line and just hang that ball up into an area between the goalkeeper and the penalty spot whether mm. either way of the goal and he would just come like a battering ram and come and clean people out and 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 put the ball and everyone else into the back of the net and that's what Burnley will be hoping that this guy will be able to do 
I mean, he was so strong, Andy Carroll. I remember speaking to John O'Shea a couple of months ago and I was asking him some of the tougher strikers that he came up against and he said Drogba was a handful. But Andy Carroll, he said there was one time in a time where derby where Andy Carroll was up front for Newcastle and he was defending for Sunderland. And he said that it was a set piece or a corner or the ball came into the box anyway. And he's never felt um, so helpless in his life defending that he couldn't jump. Andy Carroll's had him pinned down to the ground and I think that's a testament to playing to your strengths Trevor don't you think you know these players now they'll know exactly what they're good at and I suppose for the new signings coming in like Veghorst and others around the Premier League that we've seen arrive this January it's up to them to kind of highlight to their gaffer and their teammates exactly what their strengths are rather than just showing it on the training ground have this open dialogue and say listen this is this is what I'm good at and this is what you should help me with well as far as as Vegas is is concerned um Sean Dyche knows his strengths, knows what he needs to uh, deliver to him for him to be effective. Um, but centre forwards like that, I, I, I love them, you know, because I was brought up with them and, and Andy Gray, Mark Heatley, you know, these kind of players in, in my day. But um, they always loved the balls. You've described their job or that Andy Cowell would sort of just hover around the back post and he's, he's, he's inviting you to put it into this area where he's going to get two or three yards of a run and, and no one can live with it. I mean, Duncan Ferguson is, is another one who you put right in, up in that bracket. And, and it can be a super strength. Um, as, as when you look at these teams at, at the bottom of the league, I know everybody's been trying to play out from the back a little bit because that's the way that the game is going. It, it's there's still a brilliance about the direct play that can be so effective, and and the second ball and and um, players uh, anticipating where the ball is going to go from a challenge. And when you've got someone of that that ilk of a, of a cow or a potential Vegas, but he's yet to prove that. You've got it's exciting for midfield players to run in on there, or, or for wider players to get around the back of them because he's going to flick it on if he doesn't get a solid header. And it does bring the game alive for, for teams that are maybe not playing at their best or don't really have that side to the game where they're going to break teams down with the movement, movement of the ball. Um, it's it's an un, un, underestimated skill that's a little bit lost, I think, in the modern game. I think um, as well, say he has a superb debut hmm. for Burnley. You look at defenders now in the, the future games that will be coming up thinking... We need to have two people on him, you know, corners yeah. maybe two, and you're you're collecting players around him that are give, inviting other like striker or defender to get a run on from set pieces, and that it just makes everyone else be, get a little bit uneasy and a bit scared of right. We can't leave him alone one v one because he's gonna, you know, he's gonna raggy doll someone. He, it's just gonna be, it's it's gonna be, uh, it's it, as you said for other players when when they know that the ball's going in, they can get around him and, and score goals. That's why Kevin Nolan used to score so many goals at West Ham, and he used to be there either head it down to him or the ball used to, he just to follow where the ball was gonna land, and he was so good at it. And that, and that's what you, that's what you need. Yeah, the the classic big man, little man. But I think everyone's yeah. a little man in comparison to Vegas. By the yeah, it yeah. now, now it doesn't matter how you score goals. Really, it no. does not matter. You know, it, it's just about about yeah. winning football. Especially matches. when you're in the situation that these two teams. Yeah, are of course, in. of course, of course. It, yeah. It's all about that. You know, Burnley do have these games in uh, you know uh, in hand, but games in hand when you're at the bottom of the league can almost be. A burden, a yeah. It can almost you see, be, they've, you know. they've got United, Liverpool, Brighton, Spurs, Palace, Chelsea. So it's not like, you know, it's not, the games no. in hand are great, but then you've got United and Liverpool as your next two. You're like, hmm, 
yeah. might not be. The cliche so is you'd rather have the points on the board, and I, yes, I can understand exactly. why. And we'll see who does pick up the points this weekend in the Premier League. It's the only top flight game that takes place. It's a Saturday, 6 p.m. kickoff. You can watch it on BT Sport in the UK. Um, I'm really excited to see how this one goes. Good old school six-pointer, Burnley against Watford, 19th against 20th at Turf Moor. Now, also taking place this weekend, it's the FA Cup. There are some Premier League teams in action, but we want to talk about giant killings here on the dugout, and we'll do it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is The Dugout, the Premier League show from Sports Social featuring former top flight players and Trevor Stephen and Matt Jarvis are alongside me. I want to talk about the FA Cup because it is fourth round weekend this weekend and the big tie in terms of a giant killing perspective takes place at Stamford Bridge where Chelsea welcome third tier Plymouth Argyle. Um, how do you think the Plymouth players will be feeling about a trip to Chelsea, Jarvo? You've played in the uh, in the lower leagues as well when you were coming up through before you uh, forged your career in the top flight. So how do you think the Plymouth players will be feeling ahead of a trip to Stamford Bridge? Well, they'll be absolutely delighted to be going there. It will be amazing. The whole, you know, the, the, the coach journey going there, arriving at the stadium... Uh, whether they're staying up or the night before or you know then you're walking out onto the pitch before the game you just lapping it up I think you you knowing that you're going to be playing up against some of the best players in the world I think it's just well you, it, there's there's no pressure on you to you know expectation levels you're going there with a free hit to go and give it your best against some of the best players in the world and you know I, I Joe Edwards who's at Plymouth I, you know he's an ex-teammate of mine and I know his mentality he'll be absolutely thriving to, to go and, and go up against the best so I wish them all I wish them well because I know that Chelsea will be needing to to get this one over the line pretty sharpish yeah I mean when you're in this situation particularly from a Plymouth perspective when you're coming up against players that you've seen on the TV does that change the mindset in any way is that anything you've had experience with before I think players are always um, uh, influenced or aware of uh, you know, players that they've seen. I remember when I first started, uh, first time I went to Everton uh, from Burnley. Burnley was different because I was there from school, so I was aware of the, you know, the players and, and you grow up through the club at your first port of call. But then when you kind of step up and uh, there are household faces within a, a dressing room, it took me best part of six months to get used to that. Um, and... That was just giving myself time to settle in. I wanted to play well from the start, but my confidence wasn't as, as high as it should be. We weren't playing particularly well. But it, was, it was just about being part of that uh, and, and, and being in that same dressing room. Uh, and, and it's difficult. You know, you do do that. And again, with, with England, it was exactly the same when I went into that dressing room for the first time. Not, not easy. The only real occasion that I've had is when I've been a player was Burnley played... 
uh, Tottenham. I think I mentioned them maybe in a recent uh, one of your podcasts. Um, we played at, at Tottenham when Archibald and Hoddle uh, and Ardiles and Ricky Veer and Ray Clements, they were there. And we were, I was at Burnley and we were bottom of the second division or the championship as it is now. And we were playing that rubbish in the league. We went to Tottenham, went to White Hart Lane and won 4-1, right? A complete and utter, couldn't comprehend it. I mean, how do you do that? Um, because the, all pressure was lifted off. You were just going out there to enjoy the, the, the night. It was a night game. Just go and enjoy it. And we didn't half enjoy it. We got a tremendous result. So you can get all the pressure off. All the pressure then was on Tottenham, to, who took us lightly. The problem with this game for Plymouth, I don't see Chelsea taking Plymouth lightly. You know, And that, to me, is, is, is going to be the difficulty that they will face You know, going in for that 90 minutes because Chelsea are a really really good football inside. They don't give it away very often and you've got to really work for it and you can get stretched. So I fear for Plymouth a little bit, but the important thing for them is they're going to make some money out of the tie. They're going to get some experience as players um, and they're going to get some enjoyment for the fans. So that's what that's what the FA Cup's all about. Yeah, I definitely think the FA Cup has a special place in the history of many players. I mean, I think you played some FA Cup games early in your career, didn't you, Jarbo, for, for Gillingham? Um, what was that like for I you? I knew you were going to bring this. <laughs> Go on, tell us, tell us. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes, I did. Uh, we played a, a club called Bursco, um, who were not in the league. Um, we, uh, we... <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but I don't even know where that is. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, come on. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. on the A59 yeah. between Preston and uh, I was Lancashire uh, and, and Liverpool yeah. and Liverpool. Yeah, just not. Okay. Let's just say it wasn't a pleasant journey. Um, yeah, we. Uh, you, it was the proper FA Cup tie. Yeah, we went there. It was foggy, terrible conditions. You know, a, a, a pitch that was slanted. You know, it was a. It was just one of them, and you know, it started well. You know, I I scored. We were like, I think we were two one up. Uh, yeah, two one up in the eighty ninth minute. Thinking, yeah, okay, they've had a rally round, but it's all right. And then they scored in the eighty ninth and the ninety first, I think. And it was <laughs> it was horrendous. You should have seen the 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 winning goal was like some sort of goal mile scramble that hit about five players and came off the back <laughs> of the back of the goal kit. It was just one of them, but it was. As far as an FA Cup game, it was it was, it was tremendous. It was demoralising for for us that we were in the championship at the time. You know, it's a really bad you know feeling defeat fans. But the celebrations from Bursco, like fans and players on the pitch, it was just you know the magic, I suppose. But for for us, it was a terrible journey home. Um, and one well, that I, haven't, I, I well. <laughs> Back, it was one that I haven't uh, luckily experienced uh, again. <laughs> Javo, have you played against other non-league teams? You know, when you've been at a, a professional club, um, not so. No, not a non-league. Um, we've played some like you know League Two and League One yeah. games, but not quite to the severity of of, of the non-league. Yeah, but I, I played against um, Altingham uh, when I was at Burnley. And uh, we won, we won 2-1 and then played against Telford at Goodison. Um, and we, we won that 4-1. But it's such, a, it's such a strange occasion when you've got the minnows and you've got the absolute favourites and you're in the absolute favourites. 
It's, it it's mentally, yeah, it's mentally it difficult. <laughs> when you say it plays with your head, is that because you know? I mean, I mentioned at the top of the show, golf's in class. Is that because you know that you're a better player than your opposite number, and the other guys kind of there doing it semi-professionally, probably it's a postman by trade? Is, yeah, there's yeah. that, but it's also the pressure. You know, you think he, he you know, he, maybe they've been working all day, and then they've come to the night game straight from work, and you've, <laughs> you've been like, you know, at the training ground, maybe getting a massage or something, and they've been doing a full day's work, and then coming and, and beating you in the evening. It's, it's stuff that goes through your mind, thinking this, this can't happen. And it, you've <laughs> got to be, like, super professional, because, you know, these lads can play at the level that they're playing at, but when you're playing in the pro game, you know about how much time you've got on the ball generally and stick to the rules <laughs> get it give it get it give it as much as you can unless you're taking someone on and what you might do against a team that's come out of the non-league uh, position uh, or leagues is that you just take that extra touch or just take that you know just be a little bit less um uh speedy or aggressive in, in your play like you normally would be can take the edge off and that is when you get into a difficult situation mm. but going back to the game on saturday chelsea plymouth that squad at Chelsea, you know, it, it, it you can go three deep in every position there. Incredible. Mm. And they probably will make some decent changes, I imagine. Thomas Tuchel will more than likely do that. But again, it's a, about showing respect to the opposition and respect um, to the competition because Plymouth might be in the third tier, but they're still a professional club and they'll have players that will have prepared all week for this, much like Chelsea would have done. But I guess the thing that really hammers it home in terms of Chelsea being the favourites for me would, would be that home advantage I mean Java you mentioned going to a non-league ground and how difficult that is and Trevor sort of by the same token you mentioned about playing at home you know I guess that's that's the benefit is the home comforts you have that more you know, familiarity with being on your own turf the the thing is the fans are, the fans are just waiting for you to score six do you know uh, that's another aspect to it there's an absolutely foregone conclusion that you're going to win this game and when it doesn't work out like that, uh, or it's a bit tighter, or you haven't scored after half an hour, uh, the fans start to wake up and start to get behind you, or start to give you a bit of stick. Because why aren't you beating, you know, this uh, this non-league side? So it, it is it is a difficult one. It's a tricky situation to um, to overcome. But there's no doubt that pro clubs should be beating. Um, non-league clubs, but haven't again. I've been saying that if you're on a good run in, in your non-league, um, in your non-league league, uh, if you've got a bit of momentum behind you and you're playing a side who's got a lack of confidence, then from the professional ranks, go for it. You know because uh, the game is built on confidence, and if it's brittle within your team, and that can go for professional teams as well, then there's always a chance. As a player, though, for me, 100% you want to be playing at home. You don't want to be travelling away. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the pitch and everything. You know at home, nice pitch, good surroundings that you've you've trained on, you've played on for many, many times. You always want to have that home draw. Yeah, I mean, I said Plymouth versus Chelsea was the pick in terms of the giant killings. That's because the other huge fixture is Kidderminster Harriers against West Ham. And... With no disrespect to Kidderminster, I think it's probably more likely that Plymouth beat Chelsea than Kidderminster beat West Ham. I'm not. I'm not sure that I agree with no, you. It I'm is not a, sure yeah. that I agree with you there, Niall. You know, they're on a really good run as well. Yeah. Kidderminster, they've yeah, they've yeah, done extremely t- well. Tell me why. Tell me why, Trev. Why 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 wouldn't you agree with me there? Well, Kidderminster at home. Javel's just gone through the, the the benefit of that strange territory for West Ham to go into. 
Right, West Ham have had a had good season, but Chelsea are a far better side than not far better. I'll, I'll take that back. A better side than than West Ham. That's just a fact. Albeit that West Ham have some great attributes to their side and probably the best West Ham side for a few years. Um, it's that home advantage that could really make an upset here. Um, I'm I'm going to be um, involved in the game. I'll see the game on on Saturday and. It's really got me excited, you know, because I think there's potential. <laughs> I think it's a banana skin. Um, if West Ham come through it, it's because they've been really professional on the day. And I think Kidderminster will ask them a lot of questions about their professionalism. Um, you know, at the end of the day, probably expect West Ham to Squad win Squad depth as well. I think there's an element. There's an element there. If For West Ham to, to make... Quite a few changes. Do they have the same squad depth as Chelsea to to be able to to do that? Um, and as you said, you know, Kidderminster they they've had a really good run of games as well, especially um, their cup wins as well. It just gives them confidence, and they'll be they'll have you know the pitch. They'll have everything that they want to slow the game down or to speed the game up in the different in different parts of when they need it. And for West Ham, as as, as Trevor said professionalism is is key whoever plays whatever team plays they just have to go about their business keep the ball make them run you know just keep playing not taking that extra touch yeah not taking that not taking you know taking too many touches trying to do a bit of skill trying to you know you get it give it get it give it don't get kicked don't get any sort of reaction from the crowd where you have an extra touch and someone crunching tackle and then everyone's like yeah come on let's go it's keep it simple keep it simple and then set pieces will be huge yeah. as well yeah definitely they beat reading to get there to the fourth round to play west ham so they have beaten a league team uh, on their way to, to to getting drawn against the hammers so that'll be really interesting now i think it's only fair javo just to round off this fa cup chat that i did bring up the did dredge up the past of your non-league defeat with gillingham so are there any games from the fa cup that you'd like to reminisce over um to kind of set the record oh, straight i don't, I don't, I don't you, know mate. i can't I remember yeah um I think the the West Ham one on penalties. I think that was the right one. I, um, I'm trying to think because there's a couple. I think the other one was when we were in the semi final. But I don't think that was the FA Cup. Uh, the FA Cup was when Adrian, the goalkeeper at West Ham, uh, we were playing. Uh, was it Everton? I think it was. Um, and it went to a penalty shootout, and uh, he was sort of last one to take it. And he, you know, he he stepped. He just saved a penalty, and then he took the next one, and he stepped back. Then took his gloves off, threw him to the side, ran up and scored, <laughs> and it was just like celebrations. It was uh, it's quite an atmosphere. It was at Upton Park, so you can imagine it. It was uh, quite lively. Um, so that was quite a a, a nice um, a nice. Memory. Well, that's that's really interesting that because you mentioned penalties yeah. when I was playing Jarble, no penalties, right? Yeah. Um, Everton played Sheffield Wednesday five times <laughs> in the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> We had a, there was a bus trip go oh, back and forth and Sheffield and good. Honestly, it was, it was ridiculous. And then eventually we went to Hillsborough and we won 5 0. And it had been 1 1. You know, 0 0, 0 0, 1 1, then 5 0. You know, right, what? that's enough. Then we're calling it now. Yeah. <laughs> you won 10 5 on aggregate after 10 yeah. games. So, yeah. <laughs> I won't ask you your oh, yeah. best FA Cup memories, Trevor, because I don't think that's fair, because you actually won the trophy, to be fair to you. Um, but going back, I'll tell you, here's the thing. Going back, the one that I remember, obviously, is the one that I won, which was 84 against Watford. Wide winger getting down the flank, 
putting it into an area where I knew that the big striker was, which yeah. was Andy Gray. Andy Gray. All yeah. I was doing was putting it in an area where he could thrive on it, and he scores. Right. That's that's what's possible for Burnley this weekend. You up in the Premier League? You're doing yourself a disservice. An assist in the <laughs> FA Cup final is something worth bragging about, Trevor. To be honest, I would be <laughs> if it was me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Andy, Andy always says I made that cross look good. Right, that's what he basically yeah. says to me. Well, to right? be fair, I think Gary Lineker recently put you in his best ever eleven. What do you What do you make of that? Uh, for, yeah, for Everton was it? Was it for Everton? Yeah, just I think the best eleven players he's ever played with. I, think, oh, I don't right. know if you've seen it, um, but he put you in this team. Yeah, I was good in training. I used to show him up in training because <laughs> he, he was really rubbish at training. You know, there's some players who just don't try a leg because that, that kind of they just say they're saving it for Saturday. Now he just did save it for a Saturday. Because he was just electric and a great anticipator of stuff and electric and a calm finisher. That's all he needed. That was his package, right? But yeah, that was very nice of him to see. So, you know. That's our clickbait title for social media. Gary Lineker's terrible in training, says former teammate Trevor Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> After just being classed in his fake best 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice return of the compliment yeah. there from Trevor. Yeah, um, that'll do us for the FA Cup for the time being. We're going to talk about the transfer window next and Everton will be a theme in that conversation with Trevor's former club making some new additions including in the dugout. We'll talk about it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Matt Jarvis, former Wolves and West Ham winger and a former Everton and Burnley winger, Trevor Stephen, with us as well. And we're going to talk now about the transfer window. Um, approaching a week since the transfer window officially closed. And the big news on deadline day in particular came from one of your old clubs, Trevor, Everton, who signed Delhi Alley. They signed Donny van der Beek on loan from Manchester United. And they also signed Frank Lampard to replace Rafa Benitez as their new manager. As a, an Evertonian yourself, um, what do you make of the arrivals, including that of Frank Lampard? A lot going on, a lot going on. Far, far more than you would want, particularly in the managerial position at this time of the year and Everton on such a poor uh, league position. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Frank, you know, so I've, I've never met Frank. So I've got no uh, sort of view on him other than what I see. Um, I thought he was unlucky with his the Chelsea role. But he was obviously brought in to take over Chelsea on the back of what he did at Derby in one year. And he has one bad month from the 18 months he was there. Uh, and that's enough. When you're, when you're at a club like Chelsea, heads roll really fast there. And all of a sudden he could be picked on for being, you know, inexperienced. Um, when his side slipped from top of the league down to seventh or eighth uh, in a short period of time. Um, I'm really excited about it. He's, he's an intelligent lad. Uh, from what I know about him, he's humble, um, great humility about him. Uh, and I think he understands, I think he understands what Everton is like as a club. Um, very much, uh, you know, as he said, the people's club, very much about heart and soul and passion. A bit like West Ham, I think, you know, as, as a football club, you know, as people look into the, these uh, football clubs. I'm really excited about it. And I'm, I'm really, I was, I was shocked, I have to say, with the, the Deli Alley um, signing. Uh, but I'm, I'm thrilled by the potential of it. 
but scared to death because it could all go extremely the other way. It could go wrong. Uh, Van der Beek, yes. Engine, hunger, wants to prove himself. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I've just got my fingers crossed that, uh, that Ali comes, comes and does well and gets his energy back and his love for the game. Yeah, Lampard was talking about that in his first Everton press conference, actually saying about how much of a, an asset it could be to have players that are hungry to prove that they're still very good at what they do. And he's probably got that in two different people, in Deli Ali and Van der Beek, for two different reasons. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jarvo, about what Frank Lampard was like to come up against, because we've spoken on this show before about Steven Gerrard and what he was like to play against and how now he's transitioned into management, he's got this aura and ability to attract players. We heard Deli Ali talking um, in an interview after he arrived at Everton that part of the reason why he signed was because of Frank Lampard. And, you know, being a young English midfielder, uh, having grown up in the era where Frank Lampard was at the peak of his powers, that must have been a deciding factor. So what are your memories um, coming up against Frank Lampard over the years? Incredible. Incredible players. I think his, his work rate, I think I was I was lucky enough to be in the England squad with him. And you can just see after training, you know, the relentlessness of shooting, set pieces, you know, he, the professionalism. It's not just, oh, you know, he's a really good player. He's worked at it. And you can see in games, he's always in the right place at the right time, which for obviously for us and the other team was nightmare. He used to always pop up and score goals in critical games. That you're, it was just one of them players that just 7, 8 out of 10 all the time, but was a match winner as well. And you could rely on him in big moments in games, whether they were free kicks, penalties. He, he's, he can take that pressure and, and, and thrive of it. And going back to what you were saying about uh, the two players, Van der Beek, uh, Van der Beek and um, Deli Alli, with something to prove. I think Lampard's going in there thinking, I've got something to prove as well. So he's got that mentality thinking, right, I'm going to go and give this absolutely everything. I think it's a good, a really good club for him to go to now as well. Because realistically, they shouldn't be where they are as well. So it, it, it could and should turn around quite quickly because new manager going in, you've got players that are there now that have got that instant uh, respect for the manager uh, I think they've also going to have that hunger that the new players have come in they're going to be wanting to impress and show everyone what they can do and what the, why they should be playing at their previous clubs and I, I think he's he's just got that appetite himself Lampard to, to, to improve constantly improve I don't think you he ever settles on oh yeah that's good enough it's no I need to keep improving keep you know, my coaching staff keep improving. I think that's that's ultimately why he, he probably did really well on the interview as well. Yeah, I think he will do well. I really do. I like, I've liked his interviews. Um, uh, you know, he's, he speaks very well of the conversations he's already had. Of course, he's keeping big Duncan Ferguson in there and he knows the value of Duncan. Mm. Um, I think Paul Clement... He just brought Ashley Cole with him oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Mm. And, um, you know, Ashley's come... You know, pretty rapidly up the ranks, isn't he? In in coaching England under twenty one's assistant manager, working away at Chelsea. Um, you know, Leighton Baines, funny enough, is in the club as well at Everton, uh, but he's looking after the under twenty threes and, and and player development. So I see that there is a space there with someone with you know Ashley's experience, uh, albeit pretty limited in in the coaching capacity. Um, but Paul Clement, I think, is a really good one. Um, Paul has been the sort of uh, sounding block for for Ancelotti's um, 
he was there, wasn't he, for uh, Mourinho? I think he was there on yeah, the Mourinho. Real Madrid, he was Real there. Real Madrid, well. yeah. He, yeah. Oh God, right, you know, Bayern Munich, he's been there, he's seen it. Yeah. Um, and a, a really lovely, lovely man, very clever man, intelligent man, and he's seen it, seen it all. He's worked with the best of the best. So I think that's a good, that's a good mix. But you know, Everton fans do expect. They they do expect, and uh, I think that squad, when you look into it, you know, despite um, Dali Ali coming in and, and Van der Beek coming in. It still looks to me a nine or ten in the league squad, eight, nine, ten. That's I think where it's at. I think there needs to be quite a bit of surgery. Now's not the time for that. The time that time will come. But the immediate the immediate challenge is is getting points and getting um togetherness between that squad and the fans, and that means points. It means wins. That's what Frank has to do. Yeah, definitely. And Frank Lampard, I've said it on this show before, is one of my favourite ever Premier League players. I just absolutely love watching him go about his business. Um, in terms of a goal-scoring midfielder, I don't think there's many better around, particularly in the Premier League era. I mean, his records, in terms of goals, speak for themselves. I think he's Chelsea's record scorer. I think he's one of the highest-scoring midfielders in Premier League history, if not the highest. So I'm really keen to see what he does at Everton Football Club. That was the business that the Toffees did on transfer deadline day. No such business to talk of for one of your former clubs, West Ham, Jarvo, which is interesting considering they're in with a real shout of making the Champions League spots this season. Uh, what do you make of that? What are your thoughts on the fact that they didn't strengthen at all? Really interesting. Um, on the flip side, it, it was it was the time. It was the time to back David Moyes. It was the time to go and spend three, four good top players because they're in pole position to get that fourth spot. They were they're on such a good run. They're flying momentum with the in the squad. Everyone's playing at eight, nine out of ten every single week at the moment, and it was the perfect opportunity to get a few more bodies in to push that. To guarantee that fourth place, but it's hard to do that business in January. Um, David Moyes come out and said that they had three club record bids that were rejected for players in the window. So whether that's you know whether that's true or not, they um, they've definitely gone and tried. What about, what about Antonio Javo? Javo Antonio is out there on his own. No. And he's not even I, it's, it's forward, the biggest, you know, by nature. But this is so difficult because I, you're going out into buying a centre forward that's going to sit on the bench. You know, unless they're you know going to be incredible striker that's going to play in front of Antonio they're going out to buy spend a lot of money on a player that's potentially going to sit on the bench for the majority of the season at the same time you'll know he'll play because there's going to be European games Antonio can't play every week he might get injured there's always that possibility so it's taking a chance but at the same time you finding them players to come in a January window is on a you know a realistic budget is is difficult. But I am as a former West Ham player, I'm disappointed that they couldn't bring players in to give themselves a little bit of a push to to go through to the end of the season to to try and get that fourth spot. Will the players be thinking that as well, Jarvo? Or will they not be bothered? Uh, to be fair, if I was the player in Albert, thinking, don't get another winger in, because <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to be playing. You know, that that's the that's the flip side. You know, they'll be saying, well, look, we've got we've got you here. You know, we've been playing week in week out, and we've been playing really well. So don't be going and start buying players that are going to take my position. That's the mentality yeah. of the player. But at the same time, you'll be looking and thinking, well, 
you know, one or two injuries, we're going to need a bit of backup or, you know, certain positions and you, there's so many different competitions as well. You, you're just, yeah. you, you need that as a player to, to, for competition for places to keep training high standards, to keep yourself trying to improve. But at the same time, players just want to play. They don't want new players coming in and taking their position. Well, they talked about, they talked about Phillips, um, didn't they? Central midfield, Calvin Phillips. That's never yeah, Calvin Phillips. It's never yeah. happen, is it? I mean, that would be an interesting. Is that with a view to Rice maybe moving on to a bigger club or? Oh, I don't know. That's that's the thing is you you're going for a player that's never going to leave. You know, Leeds are never going to accept no, a bid no. in January for their star player. You know, it, it, it's not going to happen. It, it it's like someone trying to go after Kevin De Bruyne right now. Yeah, Why are you Man yeah, no, City going to say, oh yeah, no problem, no. yeah yeah, off you go. It's just not going to happen. But it. Obviously, they, they had the intention to try and go and buy players and they've, they have offered some big money for these players, but it just, it just wasn't the right, I don't know, time for the player or club. Um, the other thing is, you know, Jesse Lingard obviously was brilliant at West Ham. Yeah. Right? But Man United can't, you can't give Jesse they Lingard, can't risk that. You can't give no. Jesse Lingard to, to West Ham. You can't give it to an, a competitor. That that would have been done and if West Ham were tenth, that would have been done and dusted the first first week of the transfer window. He would have gone, but they're not, and there's no way they can let him go. The thing is, with West Ham, it's exactly what you said right at the start when I asked you the first question, which was, "This is the time to strengthen." They're in such a good position, and they'll probably know as a club that the chances of them being in and around the top four for two seasons in a row pretty small so for them to have kind of be in this situation we often say you've got to strike while the iron's hot but it just hasn't been the case so I think that's really interesting the fact that West Ham uh, didn't decide to bring anyone in during the January window last question then when it comes to transfers um, who's been the pick of the transfers in terms of the window for you if there was a one player Trevor maybe that you think is the one who will make the biggest impact who would you go for if not, then which club do you think's done the best business overall in January? Oh, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. I, I do have keep an eye on what's happening up in Newcastle United because I've always had a soft spot for Newcastle. I mean, less people do have a, a soft spot for them now because they've got all this money. Um, you know, and they've really pushed the boat out for him and he's been prepared to go. And he's a regular, the lad at Leon Gumarish, the Brazilian boy. Right? Now, he is, he is going to come into Newcastle United he doesn't score goals. I think he scored one in three seasons that he's been at Leon. Maybe two, I think. He scored two in one game, but one was a pen. Um, I'm very interested to see how what influence he can have because he's a must-do for Newcastle United to make a difference, to make them more solid and protect the back four. Obviously, he's brought in Dunk as well, and I think that's a really good buy. Um, paid, paid maybe a little bit over the odds for him, but to get him is, is a good... Uh, as a good piece of business. So I think Newcastle have done well because they've got Kieran Trippier and I think Target gives them that extra um, mm. a bit of solidity about about their back four. But it's Gomarish's that um, I'm really interested to see more of. I've seen a bit of him, um, but Eddie Howe was really keen to get, get him and yep. thinks he'll make a difference to the side. So we shall, shall see on that. I think it's a great one to bring up. Uh, Bruno Gomarish, I think, 
uh, a lot of people, particularly on social media, couldn't believe that Newcastle managed to pull that one off. So I definitely would go with that. Aston Villa have caught the eye for a few, Jarvo, um, with some of the signings they've made. Luca Dean, Felipe Coutinho. Uh, if there were any players that you would pick out from January's business, who would you go for? So you've got the people's one with Ericsson going to Brentford. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, just, course, yeah. it's just amazing to see him back in the Premier League and, and playing, well, hopefully playing soon. So that's a, that's the people. I think there's a club, I think Villa, yeah, Villa have done so well. Um, Coutinho, I think, could be a, a, a gem uh, Luca Dina, what a signing! I, I mean, you know, yes, he fell out with Benito. I bet he's, I bet he's in the back of his mind thinking, yeah, could have stayed. I think with that appointment, because <laughs> he, he yeah. was, you know, Everton loved him. You know, he would have been great for with Frank, but at the same time, Villa with Gerard, perfect. So they, they've done well. But for me, I think it, the, the biggest one for me that it, if it comes off, it's, it's going to save them, and that's Burnley, and that's Fairhurst. Because he could be the difference between Burnley staying up or, or relegated. Yeah, I... he, he's got he's got that much influence in it. I think for me, so he he is the he's the biggest transfer in in that case for me. Yeah, the biggest in more than one way. I think as well. Yeah, big old guy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's it for today's um, episode of the Dugout. Appreciate your time, Trevor and Matt. Great to speak to you as always. Don't forget to hit subscribe on the podcast. You won't miss another episode of the show again. Fergal and co will be back on Sunday looking back at some of the FA Cup results involving Premier League sides and, of course, that huge relegation six-pointer between Burnley and Watford. But from myself, Matt and Trevor, that's it for today. We'll catch you again next time here on Sports Social. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.